Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in, so you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Get out now. Uh. No doubt now. Thursday morning, January 17th, 2019. It's the Beating the Book podcast. Championship round in the National Football League. Skill Alexander, of course, on my right and left, the staples of the show on my right from Wager Talk. It's Marco D'Angelo, everybody. What's happening, Marco? Hey, just glad to be here. We only got uh, two or three games left. That's it. Three games left, three weeks left of the football version of this podcast, three weeks left of the Megapod, because you know what's next week. For those who have not been around for the years that we've done this, let's just say it gets a little deplorable next week. And front and center, starring Mr. Deplorable himself, Ace. What's happening, Ace? All right. Never better, man. Never better. Thanks for asking. Things are good. Can't complain. Had a good year. Healthy, happy. Things are good. Football Ending a little too quick, but at the same time, I'm kind of happy for it to be over. You know what I mean? It's, it's been a long season, and now in the new year, basketball's here. It's kind of dragged on a little bit. I agree. It's like we're all on a hamster wheel during football season, right? It's just a never-ending cycle. And yeah, I mean, at some point you need a break. I will say this, Australian Open, destruction. That's what I'm betting right now. I don't really love these two games. We'll get into that coming up. Our friend here uh, who has joined us once again for the umpteenth time. Over 25 appearances on this podcast. He certainly knows what it's like to be on the hamster wheel during football season. He hosts the morning show over at 95.7 The Game in San Francisco. It's the Joe Lowen Dibs morning show. He's the Joe part of that. And for our purposes here, he hosts the Sharp 600 podcasts available through Covers.com. A gambling nugget, an instant offensive podcast in the sports betting world. Really great show. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the great Joe Fortenbaugh. Good morning, Joseph. Good morning, Gil. Good morning, Ace. Good morning, Marco. I'll tell you this. um, It's easy to come on here and say something nice and make it sound like I'm pandering to Gil or Marco and Ace. But the reality of the situation is this. I've been covering sports now for 10 years, and you get a lot of opportunities in sports to jump on radio programs and to talk with a variety of different individuals. Maybe you get a TV spot. uh, Maybe you're live streaming. Maybe you're on a podcast. 
and by and large, a lot of them are positive experiences, and they're, and they're fun to do. Sometimes every now and again, though, you have one that will pop up uh, at a bad moment. You'll forget about it. It'll be more like a homework assignment. Again, not complaining. It's a beautiful thing to be able to talk about sports for a living. But this right here, this to me is my absolute favorite um, opportunity to talk sports oh, outside of my own show. That's very I nice. I love speaking with you guys. Well, because generally you're brought on as a guest who's supposed to shed some insight. And I know that's what you're doing here, Bill, but I actually learn more, I think, than I give out when I'm on this podcast. I love listening to you guys, and I always appreciate the opportunity. So thanks so much for having me on. Oh, man. You're You're very welcome. You are the greatest for saying that. I appreciate that. We all feel the same about you, and we like coming on your show as well. So thank you. Uh, Joe, who, uh, back in the day, in the fledgling days of this podcast, if I didn't have a guest right before the show, I knew who to call. Joe Fortenball on the double he'd be on there so we always appreciated that and look at you now multimedia celebrity yeah that was always such an that was always such an insult that i would be your backup option back then i'm not gonna <laughs> lie you uh you would aim for someone big and if they didn't come through at the last minute you would go to the scraps you'd go to the bottom of the barrel and i'd get the phone call and i'd come through for you time in and time out i come through for you gil you would but yes it was insulting yeah. but i have not forgotten <laughs> You know, Joe, as, as as Andrew Brandt claims to have drafted Aaron Rodgers, I too claim. Now let me stop. He did. Let me stop. He did. He 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 called Aaron Rodgers to tell him the Packers were drafting him. So it's a true story. I was just kidding. All right, guys. Two games: NFC Championship, AFC Championship, back to back on Sunday. Uh, let's just spell them out right here. The Saints. We're three-and-a-half-point favorite consensus most of this week. It's kind of dipping down a little. It's three-and-a-half reduced juice. It's three points with extra juice, somewhere in that pocket. The total here has remained somewhat steady. Uh, let's call it 57 right now. There's 56-and-a-half and 57, kind of equally distributed. Second game, which we'll get to later, that's been three the whole time, and that total has come down a bit, but it has settled. We'll get to the Patriots and Chiefs next. As far as the Rams and Saints, that's the first game on Sunday. Uh, Rams get here by virtue of their win over the Dallas Cowboys. They do so relying on the ground game. C.J. Anderson, who uh, I did not get the memo that he was a bowling ball. Like, I remember C.J. Anderson like being a svelte, svelte-ish kind of guy. He's a bowling ball in Los Angeles. He's played three games for the Rams. Third game, last week, 23 carries, 123 yards, two touchdowns. Todd Gurley, 16 carries, 115 yards, and a touchdown. That was a Rams- Playoff franchise record, 273 yards rushing. So you can look at it as a huge positive for a ground game, or you can sort of take the reverse and say, I don't know if they uh, trust Jared Goff that much. I don't know. We'll get into it with the panel here. Jared Goff, by the way, 15 of 28 for 186. Uh, There was a theme in last week's games. Not only did all the home teams win, not only did it end up being one versus two in both conferences, but the time of possession difference was so nuts last week. The Rams in their game against the Cowboys, 36 minutes and 13 seconds of possession against the Cowboys, 23-47. The Rams advance to take on the Saints, who, of course, are here after spotting the Eagles 14 points in the first quarter, first nine minutes of that game. And then the Eagles only had the ball for like 12-plus minutes the rest of the way. Never scored again. The Saints possessed the ball in that game for 37 minutes and 50 seconds to 22-10 for the Eagles. Michael Thomas, 12 catches, franchise playoff record, 171 yards. Saints win it 2014. Don't cover, though, because Will Lutz uh, missed a 52-yard field goal because apparently Sean Payton felt like they should just settle for that field goal on that strange third and seven call late. We'll get into all that. 
but it is the Saints hosting the Rams. One seed at home versus the two seed. Joe, what you got? What are you thinking here? Both these games are what I call eye test games. Um, I, I, they, I'm, I don't need to give you a lot of trends or stats to tell you which direction I'm going. Um, a lot of games uh, and bets that I end up on come through a lot of research. But I've watched enough and I've seen enough from these two uh, scenarios that I know where I'm going strictly based on the eye test. First and foremost, what you saw the Rams do to the Cowboys last week, you have to throw that out of your mind. You cannot take that into consideration this week for a couple of reasons. First and foremost, the Dallas Cowboys were tipping their hand with their defensive fronts. Essentially in the NFL, there are two ways to try to cause chaos in the backfield. Either you blitz or you generate pressure with the front four. If you're not going to blitz, and Dallas doesn't like to blitz very much, you've got to get creative with how you screw up the backfield. And one of the ways you do that is by stunting. Essentially, you take a defensive tackle, you line him up in one gap, but when the ball snaps, he stunts. He goes to another gap. The idea is to confuse the offensive linemen, cause some chaos in the backfield, clog up the running lanes, and end up uh, either with a sack or a, a tackle for a loss. Basically, you're just trying to create havoc. That's what Dallas likes to do. The problem is that they have tells, and the Rams knew those tells. Going into that game, the Rams knew when certain DTs were lined up in certain spots, they knew exactly where they were going. They were able to get that information to Jared Goff. Jared Goff was able to check into the correct play, and Todd Gurley and C.J. Anderson were running free down the field. How many times did you see one of those guys get a carry up the middle and they'd get eight or nine yards before someone would even put their hands on them? It was ridiculous. It was insane. Insane. Yes, exactly. And if you, anyone who plays poker in this whole group, I know they do, especially Marco, if you've got a guy who's out there giving you a tell, you're just going to sit there and milk that for everything it's worth. The Saints are not going to do that for the Rams. And if they don't allow them to have those tells, Goff is going to have to make more plays. And it's going to be very difficult with that crowd noise for him to get Sean Payton, or excuse me, Sean McVay's uh, calls and insight coming into him, then to hear his offensive line, then to make checks. I think the spot is way too big for Jared Goff. The last time these two got together, it was a close final score, but the Saints were wrecking them in the first half. They got sloppy and let him in late. Drew Brees just turned 40 years old. I think this is the last march for him. I think the Saints want this game really bad, much like the Rams do, but I don't know what the Rams are going to be able to come come to the table with that's going to be all that impressive. If you want Goff to play well, you've got to establish the running game, and I don't really see that happening, at least with any sort of consistency in the Dome. You fall behind the Saints, which I'd imagine you'll do, you're going to find yourself in a situation where Goff needs to make plays down the field, and I don't think he's capable of that. This team loves to go play action, but if you're down two scores, no one's going to bite on your play fakes. Everyone's going to know the throw is coming. And when it comes to the Saints, they had one bad quarter against the Eagles last week. It was the first quarter. It shouldn't come as a surprise. They were off for three weeks. They had the bye. They didn't play their starters in week 17. They came out sloppy, and the Eagles took advantage of it. Saints eventually got the ball rolling and outgained them by like 300 total yards the rest of the way out. So looking at this game, if you're going to play props, I think a lot of people are going to be so excited on what they saw from Anderson and Todd Gurley last week. I think you can fade those guys and move in the opposite direction. I'd lay the points with the Saints here. I like them to win this game. I like it. I like it a lot. First of all, it should be pointed out that not only does Marco play poker, but if the rodeo's in town, he'll put on cowboy gear just to blend in. That's the kind. <laughs> that's the kind of poker player he is. Just playing dumb. Awesome. That's Marco D'Angelo. He's actually sent pictures of this. It's phenomenal. 
Uh, I pretty, <laughs> I pretty much agree with with all of that. I don't have a play on on these games, but there's no way I'm playing the Rams. So I mean, I'm actually a lot more opinionated on this than I than I guess I'm I'm letting on. There's no way I, I take the Rams. I'm with Joe on, on almost all of that. Uh, it should be noted these two teams played back in November at the Superdome. Saints won that game 45-35. to 35. Uh, I don't have a very vivid recollection of that game. That's how much football is uh, just absolutely saturated in my brain. So I should have a good memory of that, but I don't. Uh, Saints won that 45-35 Superdome in November. Uh, and one thing about the Saints last week that I think is interesting they looked flat when they started that game against the Eagles, and they were able to overcome it. And I think that's perfect for them, the fact that they had that scare. And, you know, people are saying, oh, that, uh, that Lattimore interception, uh, when, the, when the Eagles were up 14 to nothing, that changed the game around. I think what changed the game around is what happened subsequent to that, because the Lattimore pick simply ended in what looked to be a three and out for the Eagles at that point. But on third and one, there was a holding penalty, and excuse me, for the uh, Saints at that point. There was, there was a holding penalty on third and one at their own 30, the Saints' own 30, and Doug Peterson elected to decline the penalty and give the Saints a fourth and one at their own 30. That was the big mistake of the game, and I didn't hear them harping on that enough on the broadcast because they went into punt formation at their own 30. Taysom Hill, the up back, first down. And the comeback was on from there. They matriculated the ball down the field. It was 14-7, and the Saints got it done from there. Marco, you agree with that, that a scare might not be that bad of a thing for the Saints last week? Oh, absolutely. One thing I'll disagree with that, you know, I would have declined the penalty, too. They were at their own 30-yard line. Most coaches aren't going to go early in the ball game a gamble from your own 30-yard line. If they miss there, now, granted, they didn't, but if they missed there, Peyton gets crucified for going for it and giving Philadelphia the ball in field goal range. Uh, so, you know, it was a turning point of the game, but I think there was a bigger turning point. And uh, I look at the games, and from the four teams that advanced, and when I get to this round, I try to sit down and look at the games through the eyes of John Q. Public, because John Q. Public we know is going to screw up more often than not. And the team that looked the least impressive out of, that moved on was the Saints because they fell behind by 14. Yeah, they won, but they had to survive, you know, Jeffries having the ball go through his hands, normally a shorthanded uh, receiver, and end in an interception to preserve the win. And as Joe alluded to, you know, the Saints didn't play anybody in Week 17. And when is the rest of the NFL going to wake up? It cost the Rams last year, and it almost cost the Saints this year. Quit resting everybody in Week 17. Because if you're that good that you can rest people in Week 17, means you've got a bye week. And that's going to result in three weeks. You can't just turn a light switch on and have these players ready to go. You need game speed, and that's too big of a gap. You've got to play these guys at least a half to get some rhythm with them. That said, people are going to look and say, hey, the Saints were lucky to survive and move on. What I saw from that game was a rusty team at the beginning. They took control of the game after the first quarter. The game changer was rolling the dice and going for the first down uh, deep in your own territory. But I'll tell you what, as I watched that game, 
when they had the third quarter and had the 18-play drive, which they constantly kept um, shooting themselves amazing. In, in the foot and moving backwards and still moving forward and cashing it in for a touchdown, not a field goal, touch, getting the touchdown, I said right there, I am looking at a championship drive. That drive, to me, is going to put the Saints in the Super Bowl. Now we'll find out you know, who they match up against and which side I'll be on. But to me, that was a championship drive. And I also took away from the Rams game, the game plan was perfect for them for what they did against Dallas. Dallas didn't see that coming. You know, who would have thought the game plan was going to be, we're going to run the football down your throat, considering how good Dallas was at stopping the run. And nobody thought C.J. Anderson was going to have the game that he had, or, in my opinion, have as many carries as he had. And what that tells me is Todd Gurley's not 100%. They are milking him, trying to get every last ounce they can get out of him to get to the finish line. And this week, they're not going to be able to do that. They're, you know, and they also, the running game, as Joe said, it protects Jared Goff. Jared Goff's going to have to make plays this week. And given the fact that we've seen Jared Goff a few times this year, especially the Chicago game, where he looked confused. And, the, you know, he wasn't ready for the big stage. You give me a choice between Drew Brees, even at 40, versus Jared Goff at this stage, and what I, for Dean, you know, assume is not 100% Todd Gurley, I'm going to go with the Saints all day, every day, all day long. I got the Saints moving on, and I'm laying the points. All day, every day. Yeah, how many games now have you said out loud, not you personally, Marco, but any of us have said out loud, is there something wrong with Todd Gurley? What's going on with Gurley? What's McVay doing with Gurley? What's going on there? Like, Because you never really know if he's hurt or not. You have to speculate he's not 100% uh, in this ballgame. By the way, last point about that thing where you, where you said you would have declined it too. I hear you that it was on their own 30 in that last game. The only thing that I would counter to that, though, again, is Doug Peterson knows more than anybody, the, the Eagles run to the title last year, how going for broke on fourth downs and fourth and short was such a huge thing for the Eagles last year. And he has to know that the guy across the field from him, Sean Payton, is just like him. That's a guy of his ilk. So really it was based on the opponent for me. It's like, oh, you know Peyton's going for it. If that was the clapper on the other side of the field, Jason Garrett, I get it. I, I would have done the same thing. But I'm like, I'm not letting Sean Payton do something you know, some shenanigans there. So anyway, that's what happened, and it was the turning point of the game either way. Ace, what you got here? All right. For me, this is like a, a best and worst case, <clears throat> excuse me, scenario. And <clears throat> Not to like pat myself on the back, but the truth is <laughs> um, when you're that good at picking futures, oh, it, it's, no, seriously, it, it's a gift and a curse. And what I mean, I, I'm seriously, all bullshit aside, I'm very good with futures. I think three of the last four World Series winners, and the one I lost, my team made it to the World Series. The Super Bowl I've done good with. I mean, I've done well with futures. And I, unfortunately, in the industry I'm in, that's not good. You're not supposed to give out futures because you're supposed to sell picks. And if you're good at giving out futures and your team's advanced, you're not going to be able to sell picks. Fortunately... I built myself around selling results, long-term results, and not picks. So I, I'm able to set my guys up for future success with these futures. 
pictures. Um, and the truth is, I don't like to give up equity. I mean, with the case of the Red Sox, I had my subscribers. I told I'm betting on top of it. I'm betting the Red Sox to win this series instead of hedging it because I think we have the best of it. And very few times are you ever that certain you have the best of it. And when you do, don't let them go. Um, and, and before the season, I gave out the Saints at 15 to one. I gave out one AFC team, one NFC team, like I do every year. And I gave the Saints at 15 to one, and I gave the Patriots at seven to one. And both are now in the championship games. So for me, the obvious move is to hedge, you know, if, if you're not sure. Coming into this game, before I looked at anything, before I handicapped it, before I saw what the line was, they were going to put up there, and before I, I checked any accounts to see if any of my guys are, are moving, um, I, I thought that the line should, should be around four and a half. I thought, let it come out around there and see what they're going to do with it. Um, they brought it out shorter than I thought, and I said, oh, my God, I'm going to have to bet the Saints again, um, especially if it's at minus three. Uh, I'm not going to hedge it. I'm going to bet on top of it because this looks like one of the best bets I'm going to find this entire season because I really think it's a great spot for the Saints. I love the fact how they come off of last week, again, starting off slow, um, I like that the Rams are coming in looking like they're on fire, having covered three straight games, having scored more than 30, three straight games. Uh, but if you look at who they played, two of those teams were Arizona and San Francisco. I mean, prior to that, they weren't playing good football. They had lost to Chicago. They lost to Philadelphia. Um, so, I mean, the recency bias gives us a little bit of advantage on the Saints. They haven't covered um, since December 9th against Tampa Bay. So I'm like, everything sets up nicely for me to say no hedge, and we're betting. I'm betting the Saints. You guys do what you want, um, but I think there's enough value to bet them. And then, the, again, the, the worst-case scenario for me happened uh, because Monday morning I checked the accounts, and the one group that's actually done the best in the NFL, and I lost last week when I faded them on a total. Um, what did they do? They made two bets, um, and their first bet they made was the Rams plus three and a half. Um, and I don't. This ain't the kind of group that takes advantage of setting up middles or manipulates. They they take they make positions. That's what they do. Um, they're they're that kind of group. Um, so I know they like the Rams for sure. Um, you know, at plus three and a half. And for me, yeah, I respect these guys. I, I, when you work with people that win long-term, you realize you're not going to get rich fading them. You ain't going to piggyback them blindly. Obviously, I never do that. Um, but I respect them. And now that's in a position where I, I believe I'm going to have to hedge this bet um, for safety reasons because there is that much equity built up. And there's sharp money that disagrees with me. Um, otherwise, I'm all over the, the, the Saints. I think this is a great spot for them. Um, I think they match up well. And more importantly, I'm not a trend guy, but even historically, teams in this spot have been extremely profitable. You know, when you're not a, a, a divisional team, uh, if you haven't played them in the division, it's just like, you know, interconference or not whatever, um, and you won the first game in, during the regular season and you're meeting that team again in the playoffs, the team that won the first game, game has won the second game 50 of 84 times it's happened 84 times they've won 50 straight up if they're favored in the rematch they're 52 and 32 if they won the first game and then are again favored in the rematch they're 40 and 20 they've 67 percent of the time they've won so i mean every trend as far as meeting the first time 
also supports the Saints. But straight up and against the spread are two totally different things. And in those spots against the spread, those teams have not been profitable. Even when looking at that 67% straight up mark, it's only 24 and 35 against the spread. So these teams have not done well ATS in the Saints position, but they have gone on to win the game. If that trend continues and the Saints could win by one, two, or three, it may fall in great for myself, and and maybe I could middle it. But where it stands right now, I I could share this information. I can tell you with 100% certainty, uh, sharp money is on the Rams. These guys are not going to take New Orleans. They're not going to lay three minus 20. That's not going to happen, I could promise you. that train has left the station pretty much, and it's Rams. So for me, I think I'm going to have to hedge this one, and I didn't want to because I liked the, the New Orleans Saints a lot. I really did in this game. Wow, that, that took a turn at the end I didn't expect to come. That was interesting. Yeah, I'm just going to be I'm honest, dude. I tell like, you know what I mean? No one likes someone that stands on the fence, and I'm not trying to argue both sides at all. I love the fucking Saints. I think Saints minus 3, minus 20 is a ton of value. But again, I, I've done this long enough to have respect for certain people, and that's one of the groups that I, again, I, I faded them last week. It didn't turn out well, and no reason to do that again. I will not be touching the Rams at all. As always, support for today's show comes from Bookmaker.eu. Bookmaker.eu, an industry leader for close to 30 years. Pro players consider them a must. Again, the trifecta, their first to post odds, they take the highest limits. And the main thing, they pride themselves on never having kicked out a winning player. That is spectacular. That's priceless. Bookmakers got a high-volume sports book best suited for sophisticated players who understand sports betting as well as large recreational players as well. And their motto has always been where the lines originate because that's true. Chances are your sports book follows their line over at Bookmaker. And if you visit bookmaker.eu slash gill right now, that's bookmaker.eu slash g-i-l-l. You can join and claim an exclusive 100% welcome bonus of up to $300. Still time, just before championship weekend. That's bookmaker.eu slash gill. Two L's on gill to join and claim your welcome bonus of up to $300. I swear by Bookmaker, the best betting experience there is. Check it out, see for yourself. Game two on Sunday. AFC Championship, New England at Kansas City. This is Kansas City minus three. It's been three the whole way. Opened at 57 and a half, I believe it was. Uh, 57, let's call it. It dropped all the way down to 55 on speculation on a weather forecast, actually. Everybody got out their Doppler and saw that there was going to be subarctic temperatures, perhaps. I actually looked it up, the difference between Arctic and subarctic. Apparently, go to the Arctic Circle, and then you go further south, and that's subarctic. I have no idea. Anyway, it's supposed to be very cold. Uh, but then they've kind of backed off on that a little. So the total dropped down all the way to 55. Now it has bumped a little higher to 55.5. That's where it sits right now for the second of two games, the AFC ch- uh, title game between the Chiefs and the Patriots. For the Patriots, it is their eighth straight conference title game. It's mind-boggling. You know, um, when I was a kid, and I said this on a numbers game the other day, I used to joke as a Redskins fan, I used to say, hey, if if, uh, Lawrence Taylor, if Joe Gibbs had Lawrence Taylor, the Redskins would have won like 13 Super Bowls. That was the number I used to just throw out. This is not the Super Bowl, but it's the doorstep of the Super Bowl. And this is the 13th time, that actual number, the 13th time that Belichick and Brady have gone to a conference title game. That is sick, that is like you can't even wrap your brain around that. These two teams did meet in Foxborough week six. We do remember that game. 
Patriots 43-40 to winners. Chiefs came back in that game. Patriots had to hold on for victory. Um, Patriots come here after just absolutely destroying the Chargers on Sunday morning. I don't know what Anthony Lynn and that coaching staff was doing, but they didn't adjust. They had like seven D-backs at first, then six D-backs. They didn't adjust anything at all. And then their whole offensive game plan seemed like Phillip Rivers just throws the ball up and prays. So that game was over very quick. Patriots roll at home. But keep in mind, the Patriots on the road this year were just 3-5 and five straight up. Much different team at home. And then there's the Chiefs the day before. They get here by destroying the Colts. I don't know what Andrew Luck's story is, but he was horrific. Just absolutely miserable. You talked, Marco, about that Jared Goff game in Chicago where he acted like it was 30 below instead of 32 degrees Fahrenheit. That's what Andrew Luck looked like. He was awful in that game. And then juxtaposed against Patrick Mahomes doing that sidearm thing to Travis Kelsey where you're like, I've never seen anything like that in my life. Mahomes, 27 of 41 for 278. Damian Williams, 25 carries, 129 yards and a touchdown. Kelsey, seven catches and 108 yards. But again, that time of possession thing, again, it was such a weird weekend. The Patriots, they had the ball 38 minutes and 20 seconds against the Chargers, against 21-10. Excuse me, against, uh, yeah, against 21-40, pardon me. And then the Chiefs, they had the ball for 39 minutes and 49 seconds against the Colts. Colts only had it for just over 20 minutes. That was the weirdest thing about last weekend. We can go entire NFL weekends and not see one game in a full slate where a team possessed the ball for 36 minutes or more. All four of these winners did last week. Chiefs by three. Marco, we start with you. Well, Gil, you know, I talked when I opened the first game, I said, you know, you look at the four games last week and, you know, the Saints were the least impressive of the four. We have the two most impressive squaring off right here. No doubt. No question about it. And for New England, was that the most lopsided 13-point win you've ever seen <laughs> it was, in your life? It's ridiculous. I, I mean, it, it should have been, you know, it, it was a score that should have been like 30 points, and somehow the final score ended up to be 13. But here's the thing, and, you know, hindsight's always great. And we all mentioned it beforehand. Um, the Chargers looked like a team that was playing their third straight road game, Fourth in their last five weeks. Looked like a team that just flew from the East Coast to the West Coast, back to the East Coast. And they were a warm-weather team playing in cold weather. But yet we all wanted to ignore it. (laughs) We just said, it's okay, because this New England team's not that good. And this is Phillip Rivers' best team he's ever had. Well, don't we look like idiots now? (laughs) Because that's exactly what, if you looked at it like, you know, on to public would, all of that came right to play into last week's game. Same thing with the Colts. Hey, we got a dome team out in, you know, a blizzard, and they're playing their third game in a row on the road, and look what happened. But now it's this week, and we talk about all that history that you ran off with the Patriots. The most mind-boggling part about everything you said, not the fact that just how many times they've been here and their playoff record and everything else. The fact of the matter is almost all of those games were at home. This is a team that's always had home field advantage. And I got crucified, uh, the Twitter trolls, which you know you've reached a new level uh, in trollness whenever guys put – and you use the uh, quotation marks and quote you from a video or a podcast, something that you actually said just to throw it back into your face. 
And they threw back into my face when I said, the Patriots are here and have home field advantage last week simply because they play in the worst division in football. You know, when you play the Jets, the Bills, and the Dolphins twice a year, that's six games that you're going to pad your record in stats. And, well, they pointed that out. But, you know, it's still a fact. It is. And that's why they have home field. They don't have home field here. And if you go back to that game at Foxborough earlier in the year, that's the game that all of us professionals jumped on our pedestal and said, here is where Patrick Mahomes becomes human. You know, that was his first, it was his second big stage. His first big stage was the Monday night game at Denver. And he led them back and had that crazy left-handed throw uh, to complete a pass. We were all at Monday Night Football chowing down on Wings and Zeppelin's guilt. You yep. remember that? I game? do. I do. We're like, did <laughs> it, he just throw it, that? Did he just throw that ball with his left hand? I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah as we're dusting off uh, powdered sugar off our shirt. <laughs> <laughs> this is the situation. He lived to the um, the big stage. He got off to a slow start. But he didn't let it, you know, overwhelm him. He brought the team back. And the only mistake he made in the second half was scoring the last touchdown too quickly. He left a minute 15 or 25 on the clock, whatever it was, uh, for Brady to go down and get the winning score. But if you go back and look at that game, there were some things that, you know, stood out to me. Um, they were minus one in the turnover department. No big deal there. But... Do you realize, and when I watched that game, it didn't dawn on me, and I went back and looked at the box score, New England never got called for a penalty that entire game. Of course they didn't. Not one time did they have a penalty in the game. And we talk about home and road dichotomy. There are not two teams in the NFL that has a bigger home road dichotomy than these two teams. New England offensively at home, we've talked about this with Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers uh, several times this year. That offense for New England scores 33 points at home. They only score 21.6 on the road. Defensively, New England 16.4 at home. On the road, 24. And Kansas City's the same way. I'm going Kansas City here. I really had a hard time with this one at the beginning, I was back and forth because, you know, it's hard to go against Belichick and Brady. You know, last week was the first time that the books, I think, all season actually needed the Patriots, that they were rooting for the Patriots. There was that much money. But I'll tell you, Gil, last week, and this is, this is something I'll give a, a tip to the listeners that have screens that they can watch the line movement. I knew I was a loser on the Chargers about 45 minutes before kickoff, <laughs> and it was too late. You know, I mean, we've given the game out. I've bet in the game already. But if you watch your screen and you watch Vegas and just watch the, the Vegas uh, books, everybody was sitting at four on the New England game, except one book moved to three and a half. In that book, I, liked, I affectionately refer to as the Bodog of the Strip, was Stations Casino. That's, they get, you know, they're all locals that bet stations. You don't have the big guys going to stations. And when everybody loves the dogs, and the squares love the dog, <laughs> and Station has to move off of four, Chargers were dead in the water. I'm going with KC here. I think they get the job done. Um, you're never going to have an easy go of it going against Belichick, but I've got Kansas City. I'll lay the points. And to be honest with you, 
everybody that I've talked to have power rated this game that the number should be four and a half or five, but because it's New England and Brady, we're seeing this three. Good Bodog reference in there, Marco. I like that. Old school Bodog. Yeah, you know, the the fact about the home road splits, we've been talking about on the podcast all year and on a numbers game at VEASAN, never a bigger chasm in home road splits than there has been this year with NFL teams. And I like to liken it to the NBA. You know, we all take for granted that NBA refs, because the crowd's right on top of them, they, they rule in favor of the home team because, you know, they're humans. And there's makeup calls also in the NBA. If LeBron doesn't get, foul, doesn't get the foul call one time down the court, he'll get it the next time. I think we saw that rampantly in the NFL this year. We saw makeup calls in the NFL all the time. Home teams just get the flags. And you're not going to, you know, you're not going to be upset having the home teams in these two games add that into the mix as well. One last thing about the Chargers. Uh, I was part of the uh, DraftKings Sports Betting National Championship last week. Uh, I participated in it, and I was among the group of people who were not at the top but still were alive. And so on Sunday, we were all in go-for-broke mode. We were all prepared to go to zero by rollover bets. And, uh, you know, we are all making ridiculous bets that we would never make in real life for a chance to actually place. And those of us who had the Chargers in some form, not straight, but necessarily, but also in parlays and stuff, it was just so funny how quickly we were done. Uh, Randy McKay, who's placed in contests in top tens many times, he said before the game, he goes up to me right before he goes, well, Gil, just your average $13,000 parlay with the Chargers involved. Let's see how this goes. And uh, five minutes later, five minutes into the game, he's like, well, at least that was painless. You know, it was just such a destruction of a game. Chargers should be ashamed of themselves. Ace, your thoughts here. Yeah, I was so shocked at this point spread, and here's why. The, both matchups they've played earlier in the season, unlike the, the New Orleans and Rams, which are being played in the same place, this one is switching venues. Now, in the Rams-Saints, what happened was it was a three-point win pretty much, right? Um, but look at the line adjustment. If you remember, the Rams went into New Orleans as two-and-a-half-point favorites in that game. They're now a three, three-and-a-half-point dog. That's a huge adjustment. You look at New England and Kansas City, not much of an adjustment. Pretty much home field advantage, and that's it, right? Um, that was shocking. More shocking to me was the fact Pinnacle went to open this game even lower. And... That idea lasted less than a minute, about 50 seconds it lasted. Um, so to me, I was just shocked. And whether it was the anticipation that the, the money was going to come in on New England, I think that's the only way I could defend that. Because power rating-wise, I agree 100% with what Marco said. Um, I, I don't think any odds makers or even betting syndicates power ratings are going to reflect that this time of the season, New England's, you know, a better team than Kansas City. And pretty much where this line opened and where it's sitting, it's pretty much what it's telling you. I mean, they're pretty much evenly matched, if, if not even shading it towards New England, because Kansas City's getting no respect here for, for home field advantage. And to me, I think that's wrong. Listen, the reason New England won that game is the same reason the Saints beat the Rams. Forget the turnovers and all that. It's they ran the football and held the football. They they held the football almost 13 minutes longer than Kansas City New England did. And 
New Orleans did the same thing to the Rams. They were able to hold on to the football, have long drives, and more or less dictate tempo. Um, and it worked out for them wonderfully. They both won. Uh, in this spot, I, for me, it's simple. If I didn't have a future on New England, my money would be on Kansas City. Now that I have a future on New England, my money's definitely on Kansas City. I'm going to bet that money line. Um, I'm going to wait. I, I think that money line's going to drop. I think a lot of New England bettors are going to take them on the money line. Um, I think you're going to see a, a ton of New England money come in. I think the books are going to be comfortable with that. Um, and the reason for it is their future book. If you look at the future book for most, and I know it, it differs from book to book, um, but exposure on the Chiefs is, is pretty much nil um, from everything I've heard. And the exposure is New England. And, and even Rams and New Orleans is worse for Super Bowl winners than Kansas City. So you have to factor that in and how they're going to create the lines moving forward and how they did for this game based on that exposure. So I think that's the reason we're seeing this low of a line um, because I think it should be higher. So for me, I like Kansas City in this spot. Um, I think the, Ram the excuse me, New Orleans is the best team in the NFL, the best of the four uh, remaining. Uh, but that doesn't mean you're going to – go on or, or win the Super Bowl. We know in the NFL they play one game, a lot of randomness involved, um, so anything could happen, but, uh, but I think Kansas City's the right side here. My only fear is Andy Reid. You know, what does he do if things don't go his way? What does he do if he falls behind like New Orleans did 14 nothing last week? You know, that's the only thing that scares me. Other than that, I, I think it's, again, Kansas City's game to lose. All the trends point in that direction. Um, they're playing better football, and I just think New England is really overvalued in this spot coming off the win like they did against Indianapolis. So Kansas City, man, they're going to the Super Bowl. That's what I think. And again, subarctic temperatures previously predicted. Now it's supposed to be about 25 degrees. So, And uh, that's what I want to add real quick. Sorry, I said the second bet they made um, that I saw in the accounts right away, and obviously is the under in New England, Kansas City. The reason I don't pass that along is because I don't, I don't – moves that are based on weather, I don't trust them because nine times out of ten, I can tell you from experience, they buy back the other side off screen about ten minutes before kickoff. Nine out of ten times. The only time they sit on the position is if it's, uh, there's a lot of wind, I mean a ton of wind, or it's just that bad, like the vision, like the, the wind or the cold, the snow, the, the vision is impaired. That's exactly what dude told me that is really up there when it comes to moving lines. And he said, we, they jump off of these. So this line that's down to 55, once it got to 55, you saw it come back up. And that's exactly what I'm saying. It's the guys that got under 60, they're now going to go back over 55. So uh, going that under 60 was not a position as far as, oh, we love the under. That's where we're sticking on. It was strictly the market's going to move because of the weather. Let's get out ahead of that move, and let's set ourselves up with a nice middle. And that's what happened. So don't, don't, don't fall into that total moving as being like, oh, they're steaming the under. As I was going to say, uh, I'm not happy with my under position because I do have a bet on an, on the under in that game, anticipating that weather, uh, and I am now rooting for a New England first drive that ends up in nothing, and then I can buy out of that. I'm not nearly as happy with that, knowing that it's 25 degrees. And by the way, can I just say this? Handicappers always judge for their record. Does anybody keep track of weathermen's records, by the way? Someone should do this. <laughs> Someone should totally do this. How bad are they? I know it was like a week out, but still. Anyway. 
maybe Rufus could go on a rant for ones that don't have a winning record. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, for uh, for anybody who wants to hear the uh, fallout of the sports betting national championship controversy, I did have Rufus Peabody on a numbers game on Monday to express his side of things, and I did have Johnny Avello on from DraftKings, formerly of The Win, now at DraftKings on Wednesday. Both are available in podcast form. The Rufus part is on my uh, feed at Beating the Book. Johnny Avello we had snippets from, but that's also available at vcin.com. So uh, interesting. Maybe I'll put those two things into a podcast at some point. People can uh, judge for themselves because I do not think we've heard the last of the DraftKings National Sports Betting Championship controversy. Joe Fortenbaugh, New England at Kansas City. What do you think? I'll be the first to admit when I struggle with wagers. And my college football record this year was right around 500. I could not get it going with college football. But I've had a decent season in the pros. And the reason I'm highlighting that is because the last month of the season, I've been able to follow something that I I just – it's one of those comfort things. Again, it doesn't require a ton of analysis. It's just the eye test. And it's been working out for me left and right. There is so much recency bias surrounding the the Los Angeles Chargers. It's it's been mind-blowing to me. Go back a little over a month. The Chargers go to Kansas City on a Thursday night. They come back late to win that game after falling behind 14-0 in the first quarter. The, the talking narrative the next day is that the Chargers are the best team in the AFC. Watch out if they get the one seed. They're finally going to the Super Bowl, right? The next week after all that talk, Baltimore goes to Los Angeles and beats the Chargers. The, the, following that game, the narrative all week was watch out for the Ravens. Nobody wants to face the Ravens in the playoffs. They're, they're, they're going to be a really tough out. So you've got all these people betting the Ravens when the Chargers have to go to Baltimore. Never mind the fact that it was obvious, or at least to me, I, I don't want to sound arrogant, even though I know I'm coming across that way. Never mind the fact that the Chargers had just seen that bullshit read option that Lamar Jackson was running. <laughs> Never mind the fact that, you know, they had two weeks of preparation to get ready for that. Uh, everyone loved the Ravens. And what happened? The Chargers went in there with a the game plan, and they absolutely shut down the office or the offense. So now here's the new narrative. Oh, my God, the Chargers just took out the Ravens. This Chargers team is legit. New England's old. They're going to go to Foxborough and win. Now, let's forget about the fact that the Patriots have two weeks to get ready. Forget about the fact how the Patriots perform at home. Forget about the fact that the Chargers are going back to the East Coast for an early start time for the second week in a row. Everybody likes the Chargers with the points. Here comes Brady destroying everybody. Everybody. And like you guys mentioned, so many people – uh, sided with the Chargers there, and, and at least you were able to realize early that it, that it, it wasn't a good bet, that they were just going to get hammered. Anthony Lynn is a good motivator as a head coach, but he's not an X's and O's guy. Nope. They, they went into that game playing zone coverage on defense. They made zero in-game adjustments. They didn't try to do anything. They just stuck with their plan and hoped that they'd be better. They have a better offense than the Patriots. They have a better defense than the Patriots. They have so much more talent than New England, but they had no chance in that game. It's like Sun Tzu says in The Art of War. Uh, what is it? All battles are won before anyone fires a shot. Before anyone takes the field, all battles are won. The Chargers were dead in the water before that game started. But now that New England took out the big bad Chargers, everyone's talking about how, oh, we shouldn't have forgot about the Patriots. We should, they, they, eight years in a row in the AFC Championship game, they're so good. How did we forget about this? Uh, you know, Andy Reid in the playoffs, the struggles in big spots. Bullshit. The, the, the Patriots are slow. 
Has anyone watched them play? They are a slow football team. They're slow on offense. They're slow on defense. They've got Brady, yeah, but he doesn't move around the pocket the way he used to. I mean, he, he looked slow back there. And Belichick can put together a great game plan this week. No doubt he's going to have a great game plan. But there is so much speed on behalf of Kansas City. And you've got such a big arm in Patrick Mahomes. This is why every year at draft time you're always hearing about arm strength because you've got to be able to throw in the weather. You can't go to the AFC North with a noodle arm like Colt McCoy and think you're going to survive. You've got to be Ben Roethlisberger. You've got to be Joe Flacco. <laughs> you need the big arm in the weather. Mahomes has got that. There's all this talk about weather this week. I don't think it hurts Kansas City at all. they got a big-arm quarterback who could still make all the throws. We saw it last week against Indy. Everyone thought Indy was going to be this tough out, and the Chiefs stomped them into the ground early in that game. So the way I'm seeing it here, between the eye test on New England, it's just not as good a team as we've seen in the past. It's a slow football team. That combined with the fact that I think people are overvaluing New England based on what they saw against the Chargers last week, that recency bias thing, I can't shake it. I like, New, I like Kansas City here. I like them relatively comfortably. I think they're going to play a smart football game. They're going to have a lot of crowd noise. They finally got the damn monkey off their back by winning a game at home. Uh, this is it. Play loose. They went to Foxborough. I mean, Mahomes isn't going to be afraid of the big spot. He's played in big spots all year. He doesn't really seem to get rattled. He makes mistakes, sure, but he doesn't play like a quarterback who's starting for his first season and only second year in the NFL. I'll lay the points. I like Kansas City. And I think Andy Reid trusts him implicitly. It's a different Andy Reid with Patrick Mahomes. Uh, I think he gets that. One thing there, my San Diego, excuse me, my Los Angeles Charger trajectory is that I thought they were the best team in the AFC even before that Chiefs upset when they went in on a Thursday night and beat them. So when that happened, I looked like a genius with my futures tickets. And then they beat Baltimore in the playoffs. Again, I was all over the Chargers. Bigger genius, and then last week teasing the Chargers, I look like a raging idiot. So that's how it. That's, well, Gil, that's how it goes. They were the they were the most talented team in the AFC. They might be the most talented team in the NFL, but they go cheap on coaching. Yep. The Spanos family has always gone cheap on coaching, and it always comes back to bite them in the ass. They are they lack so much attention to detail. Look no further than special teams. The teams in the NFL with good special teams are the teams that pay attention to detail. That's something that, that Belichick always prides himself in. You saw what happened with the Saints against the Eagles. There's this great video out there of that Saints-Eagles conversion with Taysom Hill. The Saints were studying the tape of the Philadelphia Eagles punt return team, and Fletcher Cox, they noticed, took those plays off. He's one of the interior defensive linemen, and on the tape they saw at the Bears game, as soon as the ball snapped, he just kind of stands up and waits. <laughs> so when they designed that play for the fake, yeah. they ran directly at Fletcher Cox, who stood up and didn't attack the line, and they were able to get good push and get the first down. That's attention to detail. The Chargers, two weeks in a, in a row, had lousy teams in the, in the Raiders and the Broncos convert a fake punt on them. Now I get if you get caught sneezing once, but how the hell do you get caught the next week on another fake punt? Like, how did you not address that all week in practice? How is that not a major focal point? The Chargers are just one of those teams. Anthony Lynn's a good guy and he's a good motivator, but they don't pay attention to detail. They don't make in-game adjustments. And until they figure that sort of thing out, all that talent's going to be wasted. I'll, I'll step out even further. They were ill-prepared for so many games this year. They dug themselves holes in almost every game, it seemed like. Even the game where they upset the Chiefs, they were down 14 to nothing in that game. They had to overcome that. So they were ill-prepared. They made no adjustments, as you point out. 
And here's the other thing that no one ever seems to ask. I asked Michael Lombardi this uh, on VEASAN, and I asked this of uh, Warren Sharp this morning. Do you think that that coaching staff goes back after a game like the one against the Patriots, and they actually delve into the reasons why it happened? Or do they just come out and like, well, just didn't work out, we just didn't execute? And uh, Warren points out they have no analytics team. Like, they don't even get that having seven D-backs or six D-backs. Like, you can't, if you don't have that information, if you don't know that on a granular level, like, it's probably probably more the latter than the former. Like, you just don't really understand why you truly lost a game like that, and you're just hoping Phillip Rivers bails you out every time. Phillip Rivers, by the way, put him in the Hall of Fame. Not his fault that that happened to the Chargers. All right, gentlemen, so here's the deal. So look ahead lines from the Westgate. The Chiefs, excuse me, the Saints would be one-and-a-half-point favorites against either the Chiefs or the Patriots, and the Rams would be pickums with either the Chiefs or the Patriots. Uh, that could change based on what happens this week, obviously injuries, based on the nature of the performance, if, if one team blows out the other or if it's a squeaker. But those are interesting lines to me, just one-and-a-half on the Saints in both cases, and I don't know that it shouldn't be a coin flip with the Chiefs if it's the Saints and the Chiefs. What might the total be? in the Super Bowl. And we're used to saying all, you know, we're used to having all these big bets on sides in Super Bowl history, millions of dollars on one side or the other. We've never ever had big bets on totals before. And I think uh, that could happen come Super Bowl time, no matter who gets there. If it's certainly if it's the Chiefs versus either the NFC opponents. Gentlemen, the schedule is this two weeks, the Super Bowl prop and game megapod. Next week, Vegas Lifestyle, A Man's Guide to Sin City, the ninth yes. annual edition. Ninth. Ace, do you have something planned? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot of things we need to discuss. I don't like where, where things are headed. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't so know. We're going to have to put a stop to it. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but that should be fun. We'll bring in uh, Meltzer like Seltzer, Mark Meltzer, man about town. He's got all the information. So for those who don't know, again, who've missed it the previous eight years, it's about restaurants in Vegas. It's about you know steakhouses specifically, but restaurants in general, where those of us go, the restaurants we love in Las Vegas, we do. We used to do nightclubs, but now we're all like you know old old cockers, so we don't do nightclubs as much anymore. We used to do day clubs. Let's face it. They tune in for two things. They want to hear my steak recommendation. Then when I'm done, it's all VR, okay? Yeah. <laughs> we want to hear about strippers, hookers, yeah. getting rolled, you know, where to go, you know, buying school books for girls. You know, it, it, it's VR's <laughs> oh, world. Oh, God. <laughs> yes, what Marco was saying is true. It crescendos, and I hesitate to use that word, into VR going off about, say, the underbelly of Las Vegas. And through the years, he has given us – opinions on things that god knows we didn't even know existed so we look forward to that and uh, ace is the star of that show so uh, that's next week on the show we'll probably have it out on wednesday uh for marco d'angelo from wager talk ace out of the sports betting diaspora and uh joe fortenball once again if you're in uh, san francisco or in the bay area or you can catch them online it's 95.7 the game in san francisco what's the uh, website uh, url for that joe 95.7 the game Gil. No, 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 no! The actual URL for for the for the radio station. Yeah, for the radio station. Nine five seven the game dot com. Thank you. Was that that difficult? It's like pulling teeth. 
Jesus. I, I heard the question, and I was like, I've got to be, I got to be, I got to be mishearing him. It was, <laughs> I didn't mean to get audio about that. I thought, <laughs> I thought it was just that obvious. Just, I'm sorry. Just trying to promote his his radio station, for God's <laughs> sakes. And then, of, <laughs> and then, of course, it's uh, the Sharp 600 at covers.com, available where all podcasts are distributed. Joe does a great job on that show. Uh, what do you do, weekly shows on that? Uh, the podcast is generally, it, it rotates between two or three a week. Football season is generally about three. And, you know, we'll cover a lot more coming up here. we got to get into some basketball, uh, everything else. UFC, I know the ponies are coming up in a couple months. Marco's always nice enough to jump onto that and hand out some winners. So it, it rotates. We try to get some stuff early in the week stuff, and some stuff late in the week. All right. Thank you, sir. Appreciate your time, as always. The great Joe Fortenbaugh. Our favorite through the years. No kidding. Our favorite on this podcast of all time. Good luck with all your bets this weekend, whether AFC, NFC, or both. And thank you so much for listening. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billie's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like da 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 da. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it gonna, like that's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. 